section ten of the spirit of place and other essays this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Spirit of Place and Other Essays by Alice Maynell. A Derivation. By what obscure cause, through what ill-directed industry, and under the constraint of what disabling hands had the language of english poetry grown for an age so rigid that a natural writer at the end of the eighteenth century had much ado to tell a simple story in sufficient verse all the vital exercise of the seventeenth century had left the language buoyant it was as elastic as deep and mobile waters then followed the grip of that incapacitating later style much later english has been so used as to become flaccid it has been stretched as it were beyond its power of rebound or certainly beyond its power of rebound in common use for when a master writes he always uses a tongue that has suffered nothing it is in our own day that english has been so overstrained in crabbe's day it had been effectually curbed hindered and hampered and it cannot be said of crabbe that he was a master who takes natural possession of a language that has suffered nothing he was evidently a man of talent who had to take his part with the times subject to history to call him a poet was a mere convention there seems to be not a single moment of poetry in his work and assuredly if he had known the earlier signification of the word he would have been the last man to claim the incongruous title of poet but it is impossible to state the question as it would have presented itself to crabbe or to any other writer of his quality entering into the same inheritance of english it is true that crabbe read and quoted milton so did all his contemporaries and to us now it seems that poetry cannot have been forgotten by any age possessing lycidas yet that age can scarcely be said to have in any true sense possessed lycidas there are other things besides poetry in milton's poems we do not entirely know perhaps but we can conjecture how a reader in crabbe's late eighteenth century looking in milton for authority for all that he unluckily and vainly admired would well find it he would find the approval of young's night thoughts did he search for it as we who do not search for it may not readily understand a step or so downwards from a few passages in paradise lost and paradise regained an inevitable drop in the derivation a depression such as is human and everything from dryden to the vanity of human wishes follows without violence and perhaps without wilful misappreciation the poet milton fathered legitimately enough an unpoetic posterity 
milton therefore who might have kept an age and many a succeeding age on the heights of poetry by lines like these who sing and singing in their glory move by this and by many and many another so divine milton justified also the cold excesses of his posterity by the example of more than one group of blank verse lines in his greatest poem manifestly the sanction is a matter of choice and depends upon the age the age of crab found in milton such ancestry as it was fit for crab then was not a poet of poetry but he came into possession of a metrical form charged by secondary poets with a contented second-class dignity that bears constant reference in the way of respect rather than of imitation to the state and nobility of pope at his best the couplet the weak yet rigid poetry that fell to his lot owed all the decorum it possessed to the mechanical defences and props the exclusions especially of this manner of versification the grievous thing was that being moved to write simply of simple things he had no more supple english for his purpose his effort to disengage the phrase long committed to convention and to an exposed artifice did but prove how surely the ancient vitality was gone his preface to the borough a poem should be duly read before the poem itself for the prose has a propriety all its own everything is conceived with the most perfect moderation and then presented in a form of reasoning that leaves you no possible ground of remonstrance in proposing his subject crabbe seems to make an unanswerable apology with a composure that is almost sweet for instance at some length and with some nobility he anticipates a probable conjecture that his work was done without due examination and revisal and he meets the conjectured criticism thus now readers are i believe disposed to treat with more than common severity those writers who have been led into presumption by the approbation bestowed upon their diffidence and into idleness and unconcern by the praises given to their attention it would not be possible to say a smaller thing with greater dignity and gentleness it is worth while to quote this prose of a poet who lived between the centuries if only in order to suggest the chastening thought it is a pity that no one however little he may have to say says it now in this form the little so long as it is reasonable is so well suited in this antithesis and logic is there no hope that journalism will ever take again these graces of unanswerable argument no they would no longer wear the peculiar aspect of adult innocence that was crabbe's end of section ten